if you have a Bible with you, get to uh, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're over halfway through this book of the Bible. We've been calling this series Overflowing Faithfulness because the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of evidences of faithfulness. And yet, he sees a need in their lives that they need to make progress. In today's passage, he says, you're living to please God, you're doing this, and at the same time, do this even more. Keep making progress. Let your faithfulness overflow, increase, and abound. A few weeks ago, I read this quote. The gospel has all of life encompassing implications. The gospel has all of life encompassing implications. In other words, your faith in Christ and trust in Him and His good news, it should be affecting your entire life. No part of our lives that His Lordship doesn't touch, no day of the week that He should not reign over, including Tuesday, no relationship in our lives that His good news should not be transforming, no part of our hearts that His light doesn't reach. Brother and sister in the Lord, what area of your life are you hesitant to surrender or resist saying to the Lord, take this? What area are you prone to resist giving up or surrendering, saying, I, I really don't want to lean on your understanding on that, Lord. I want to lean on my own. I want to trust in my ways. Notice I, I didn't ask, is there an area of your life that you're hesitant to surrender to his wisdom, his ways, his truth, because the question is not if there's an area, it, it, it is rather, what is it? What are these areas that we are prone to resist the Lord graciously and patiently transforming and seeking to make progress in our faith? So none of us can sit here, whether here in person or online, and think, I don't have an answer to that question. Of course you do, and so do I. If the gospel has all of life encompassing implications, and it does, where are you prone to say that it doesn't? Like, Lord, you can have this and you can have this, but when it comes to this area over here, and I, I, wanna, I want that to be me. I want to reign over that one, if you will. When I first became a Christ follower, I wanted to keep my private life, what was done in secret, as my own. I didn't want to surrender that area because I thought my ways were better. I didn't want to change because I incorrectly thought that it would actually hinder my joy in the Lord. What an utterly foolish thought that I thought by trusting in the Lord's, Lord's ways and wisdom that would actually diminish my joy when in fact it would only enhance my joy versus trusting in Dave which lead to which led to damage or destruction or, or the brokenness. As I think back to my 27 plus years of following Jesus, there have been areas that I've been prone to not say to the creator of the universe who set the stars into motion, who spoke the world into existence, who, who was rebelled against and yet still lovingly sent his son to rescue mankind, a rebellious mankind, so that we could be restored into relationship. Maybe I'm laying it on a bit thick, but you get the idea. I'm trying to help us see how utterly silly it is for us not to say to the Lord of the universe, you can have my life. You can have every area. I trust you in all ways. So as I think back to my own life, areas such as money, future, sex, relationships, jobs, I've been hesitant to 
say, Lord, you can have this. I've been prone to think that the gospel doesn't have all-encompassing implications in those areas, and yet it certainly does. And you have these areas too, and the Lord is calling us to repentance and trust today. This is what we sang of already. The Lord is calling us to open up our hands, raise our arms, bow our knees, and say, Lord, I trust you in all things. Brother and sister, who we are in Christ should lead to a a life and a way of life, a walk that reveals that new creation, inward identity. The fruit of our lives should reveal the, the root. The attitude and actions of our lives should be, should be revealing what we are actually being led by. Is it by the Spirit or by our flesh? The good news of Jesus always works itself from the inside out, always changing our minds, renewing our minds, transforming our hearts, and then that leads to a way of life that looks different. Believer, you've received a grace-given new identity in Christ, and that new identity in life has all of life encompassing implications. Paul writes in verse 3 of this section, for this is God's will, your sanctification. God's will for your life and my life is that we might continue to make progress, that we can look back six months, 12 months, two years from now, and see how the Lord has graciously and patiently formed us into Jesus. Because, loved ones, remember, He's faithful to finish what He's, what he's begun. If you feel stalled out or neutral, He's still faithfully at work. The goal of a Christian's life is not nominal, lukewarm, ride the fence, a little sprinkling of spirituality here, a whole lot of sprinkling of self over here, hypocritical, meh, Christianity. It's not the goal of a Christian's life. It's not the goal of our Heavenly Father's life for us to become. Rather, it is for that we would have a growing spirit-empowered, all of life encompassing faithfulness to Jesus, growing to be more like Him, so that generations are transformed by your faithfulness today. So what does sanctification look like in daily life? Paul talks about three areas here. Sexual purity, brotherly love, and then work. And there's an outward evangelistic element to all of these because our sanctification is not just for our good, it's also for the good of those around us. There's a gospel witness to our life that should be a God-glorifying one. So we'll read a little bit, talk a little bit, work our way through verse 12. Verses 1 and 2, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you were doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Remember, Paul was there when the church started. He brought the gospel to them and Timothy and Silas and and shared their lives with him. And Paul said in chapter 2, verse 13, this is why we constantly thank God for you. Because you received the word of God from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as the word of God, which it truly is, he writes. And as a result of hearing that word, they turned from idols and they turned to serve the living and true God. So church, he says, you're doing this, he says in verse 1, and do this even more. Keep making progress in the faith. And the progress you make will not just be for your joy and your good, 
but for the good and joy of those around you. He says in verse 2 again, For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And these commands are not ones we pick and choose from. It is not, I'll lean on my own, my own understanding here and in, in your ways over here, Lord. No, it is, I'll lean on your understanding in all my ways, acknowledging you as Lord in all areas. The Bible is not a smorgasbord to pick and choose from. Raise your hand if you remember the restaurant Ponderosa. Yeah, this is dating us. Yeah, as my friend used to say at State Farm, she didn't, she didn't call it Ponderosa, she called it Pondagrosa. Okay? The chain is still around, by the way. It's not here in central Illinois. But there's a steakhouse and a buffet, which those two don't usually go together, which probably was a bad marketing plan. But you could pick and choose what you wanted off the buffet. I walk your little plastic tray down the conveyor belt and grab this, don't want that, grab this, don't want this. And this is what we do when it comes to the Word of God. I'll receive this and welcome this, but I don't want to receive and welcome that because that makes me want to change. That's going to cause me to have to repent or humble myself. I don't want that. I only want this over here. We want to be people who welcome and receive the whole counsel of the Word of God because it's at work effectively in those of us who believe. Verse 3, for this is God's will, your sanctification. This is one aspect of God's will for our lives, that we grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. In Christ, at the moment of our salvation, we are seen as holy in Him. You're no longer seen as a sinner, but as a saint. That's the term that Paul uses when he, when he writes to churches in the New Testament. He often says, saints in Christ Jesus. Jesus took on our unrighteousness upon that cross, our shame, guilt, and sin. His blood covers it. It is finished. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that in Christ you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This would be positional sanctification. The position of being in Christ says we are holy. Now, that doesn't mean that we are free of sin this side of heaven. And anyone who's lived for just a half a dozen hours or days understands that as we relate to people, we're not always going to perfectly hit the mark. We realize that we've missed the mark. We have remaining sin. And so in a place like 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, the Bible calls us to pursue a growing holiness. Why? Because our God is holy. And we now live and walk from that posture that we've been given holiness by grace alone. This is what Paul is talking about here. It's in this passage, progressive sanctification. You're doing this, do this even more. And then one sweet, sweet day, loved one, you and I will be free of sin and its effects and with the Lord in eternity. We would call that, we could call that perfect sanctification. Perfection doesn't come this side of heaven, but glorification is coming. And we are commanded by the word until that day, empowered by the spirit to make progress. What are ways that we are commanded to make progress? Well, Paul talks about some, verse 1, or I'm sorry, the first one, second half of verse 3, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Notice he doesn't say keep partially away from sexual immorality or steer clear of most of it, but you can have a little sprinkle of here or there. No, this is not a call to partial obedience. This is not a call to sin less than the person over there who really has a problem 
This is a call to keep away from it, to turn from that idol and turn toward the living and true God because that idol is dead and false. So we turn toward the living and true God. What does he mean by sexual immorality? Well, here's the broad definition. Anything out, out of the bounds of a covenant marriage between a husband and a wife. If you're pursuing sexual satisfaction through some avenue that isn't your husband and wife, you're walking down a path of immorality, a path that is contrary to how the Lord has called His blood-bought, redeemed, new creation sons and daughters to live. And between verses 4 and 8, Paul's giving us motivators or incentives as to why we should do this. Because some of you listening, whether online or here in person, are already asking the questions going, why should I do that? I don't want to do that. Why should I keep away from that? Or some of you might be thinking, cool, I don't care what the Bible says on that. I'm going to go ahead and do it my way. Or maybe some of you feel immediately condemned or guilty because of it's in your past or it's your present day story. No matter what is rolling around through our head and heart right now, let's let the relevant, true, authoritative word of God form us this morning. Keep away from sexual immorality, verse 4, that each of you knows how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Keep in mind the background of the Thessalonians. They had come out of generations of idolatry with no real restraint on anything sexual. And the culture around them is saying people could be treated as a commodity, as a property to, to be consumed. If it pleases self, then do it. Fidelity in a marriage doesn't matter. If your flesh wants to do it, then let your flesh rule and reign. The Thessalonians who have gotten saved and formed this church, most of them have come out of a former way of life that is opposite to any idea or any sense of controlling your own body. And so this old creation way of life is deeply rooted and entangled in their hearts. And many of us can relate to that. I know I can. And yet, loved ones, may I remind you that our God is greater. Our God beat death. We are Easter people. Our God walked out of the tomb victorious over sin, the schemes of the enemy. Your flesh doesn't have to win. Your old patterns of life don't have to win. Our God is greater. We serve a God who is greater, and He's given us His Spirit to dwell in you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Paul's saying, don't fall back into your old ways. Gentiles live as if there is no God. But when we who do know God live completely contrary to how He's called us to live, we, we are living in a way as if that we don't know God either. So remember, you're a saint now in Christ. So live as a saint and let such a life and its testimony give God so much glory for He's the one doing the sanctifying work. We do know Him and He knows us and the good news has come to us and His Spirit is inside of us. So as a result, we have power our bodies to be able to pursue holiness and honor. Power not from us, but from on high, a supernatural power, and this is what we need, right? Loved ones, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our God. You're not an evolved animal. You're not a little bit further along on the evolution chart. 
So you don't have to follow every impulse that comes across your minds. You're an image bearer of the one true God who is called to honor fellow image bearers of the one true God. Verse 6, this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of, of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses as we also previously told and warned you. Sexual immorality notoriously takes advantage of other people, exploiting others, cheating others, overstepping boundaries of holiness and honor. At the root of sexual sin is a self-centered nature. I don't care about that other image bearer. I only care about me and what I want. So if you're dating and you're pursuing and engaging in sexual immorality, that isn't expressing love to the other person no matter what the lies of culture say. It's taking advantage of them. Even if it's mutual, you are taking advantage of one another. You are leading one another toward sin that Jesus died for offenses that he bore the weight of. The way to love them like Jesus is to keep away from sexual immorality, to trust the word here, to walk in the light. That's where blessing and freedom and future joy and present day joy is found. When you're consuming images on a device, you're taking advantage of, you are sinning against a fellow person who's been made in the image and likeness of God. You're exploiting the brokenness of, the, of this world. You're exploiting the brokenness of their heart. You're exploiting the business that they are entangled into. So when you click, when you download, when you search, when you do these kind of things, you're adding to the exploitation and the financial monster that this is. You are feeding into that. Of which the Lord will avenge. Second half of verse 6, he will judge the living and the dead and he will make right what has gone wrong. And so that is a comfort to us when we see the exploitation in our culture and world, when we see the brokenness, when we see human trafficking still existing, when we see that brokenness, that is a comfort to us that the Lord will avenge. It's also a call to us who do know the Lord and have received His grace and mercy not to use His grace and mercy as license to continue in a pattern of sin or to compare ourselves horizontally and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person over there, so I'm good. Like he says at the end of verse 6, we know what is true. We can't plead ignorance here. The Spirit is the voice of truth in our lives and He brings that truth to our minds. May we listen to the spirit of truth this morning verse 6 for god has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness consequently anyone who rejects this does not reject man but god who gives you his holy spirit the goal you and i have been called to live is holiness meaning living and walking in a way that flows out of that new identity in jesus our god is not a cosmic killjoy our God is a cosmic joy giver. His commands are not burdensome, is what 1 John would tell us. His commands rather lead to freedom and rest. He is for your good. And so when we reject his ways and wisdom, including in the area of sex, which he created, by the way, but when we reject that, notice that Paul says we are rejecting him. We're not rejecting Paul's words. We are rejecting the person of God. 
We are putting ourselves on the throne of our lives and saying, good and gracious God, get off the throne. I'm going to rule this area. I'm going to lead this area. Get away. It is a who, not a what, that we reject. It makes it personal, doesn't it? I don't want to reject the Lord who, is, who was rejected and crucified for me. I want to welcome and receive Him because by grace alone, He has welcomed and received me. I want to keep in step with the Spirit, not grieve and reject the Spirit. And I love that last phrase there, verse 8, reminding us again, you've been given the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has given you the power to enable you to control your own body, including when circumstances seem really, really difficult and temptation is the needle's way off to the right. It's really intense. Remember, Jesus was buried in a tomb guarded by Roman soldiers. Impossible human situation. Difficult to say the least. And yet the Spirit of God raised him from the dead, rolled back the stone, He walked out victorious, ascended to heaven, one day returning. We serve a God who is able. Again, we sang that as well. God's will, your sanctification. The next area of life, life, he talks about brotherly love. Verses 9 and 10, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all, all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia, But we encourage you, again, brothers and sisters, continuing to reinforce this, to do this even more. So even though this church was well known for their love for one another in this region, we know it was not a flawless love. And how can we know that? Because we're on this side of heaven. Because just like our church, just like any other church here, just like the Thessalonian church, these brothers and sisters are making progress in their sanctification, but they're not perfect yet. So they're going to not always hit the mark perfectly when it comes to loving one another. So I love Paul's encouragement. Do this even more, brothers and sisters. You are saints in Christ, so live with that mentality. Remember the identity that you have as as a new spiritual family. And so practice well here on earth as you prepare for eternity with one another. Let there be deep affection among yourselves. Let you not look only to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let that reputation of loving one another ring out. Is your love for one another ringing out right now, including those you disagree with? How are you practically and lavishly loving others within the family of God right now. Let's do this even more. Let's let it abound in our daily way of life. He goes on, verses 11 and 12, sanctification as it relates to daily life, including work. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So we'll look at three things he says here. Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your own hands. Lead a quiet life. What does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean walk around mute or silent. It does mean that your, that your daily life is recognized by a peaceful, calm, restful posture. That doesn't mean life isn't crazy sometimes. Sometimes. 
Like if you have young ones at home, that you probably wouldn't characterize your way of life 24-7 as restful, peaceful. This is less about schedules and to-dos. This is about the posture of your life. He's also talking about here that, that if your posture is not restful and not peaceful, you're going to be prone to excessive chatter and gossip. So he's saying, don't be the person who is continually stirring the pot. You're not a busybody moving from one place to another, kicking up the nest, and then leaving. You're also not the hall monitor, working the halls, making sure everybody else has their hall pass. It's not your God-given right to go around straighten everybody else out. Are you tracking with me? This is the person who's so focused on everybody else's spec and so focused on, wow, they really need to make progress. Wow, they missed the mark. Wow, they, and they miss how they are called to make progress. A quiet life is one rested in your identity in Jesus and the goodness and the sovereignty of our God. A quiet life is one that prays first, prays last, prays in between, that rejects, verbally rejects gossip and slander. You've been in these conversations. The voice is here, 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 whoop, and then it drops. Have you heard about it? I was, I was in, we need to pray about it. And, we, and, and it drops, instant red flag. Am I part of the problem? Am I part of the solution? Have you talked to them directly? I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to consume these morsels is what Proverbs would call them. Morsels that will actually lead to my indigestion. It's not my place. So I'm going to lead, seek to lead a quiet life. That's making progress in our sanctification. Mind your own business. Similar to a quiet life, the person who rejects this command is one who is meddling in everyone else's life. But heaven forbid somebody meddle in theirs. The person who goes around either loudly or quietly disrupting and disturbing the peace. It's stirring the pot again, kicking up the nest. I would tell you as a pastor, historically, some of the most destructive disruptions to a church's relational and missional unity, and any other local pastor would tell you this. This is not a cross point thing. This is a kingdom of God thing. One of the most destruct destructive and disruptive things is when people reject these commands when they do not lead a quiet life, when they do not mind their own business, when they are potsters. Francis Chan had this joke many years ago. I think it's fitting here. But he says, we're all members of the body of Christ. We have hands, feet, noses, lips, ears. Well, the potster is the appendix. We're not sure what the purpose of the appendix is. But at any point, it might get infected and blow up and kill us all. So he says, don't be the appendix. We're all members of the body of Christ and called to serve one another. Paul's also not saying that we live apart from one another and have no concern for one another. It's easy to swing the pendulum too far on these commands. Mind your own business? Sweet. I'm going to hunker down, bomb shelter. I don't care about anybody else. It's me, my Bible, my closet. It's not what he's saying. That would be opposite of bearing with one another and loving one another. He is saying, be mindful of your own affairs. Be mindful of your own household, your own heart and soul, your own planks. This is progressive sanctification. And finally, work with your own hands. 
meaning you're, you're going to reject idleness, which leads to this busybody type of life. Reject entitlement. Reject taking advantage of the generosity of others. Manual labor was despised by the Greek culture. In that culture, it was if you work less, then you were seen as a better person, which goes against Jesus being a carpenter, the apostle Paul working multiple jobs, other apostles being fishermen or businessmen. He's not saying that sometimes you won't experience the blessing of generosity from others. I know we have in our lives, you have as well. We can point to big and small things historically over many, many years, including the last month of how the how God's people have loved us well and been generous toward us. But we must reject entitlement. We must reject, well, I deserve this. We, we reject that mentality. We continue to work hard with our own hands because we are the people of God. We are called to worship through our work. We are called to provide for our own household, 1 Timothy 5.8. So this is one area where we make progress. As a church, we talk about being driven to reach people. And I hope that you see in this passage that one aspect of God's will for our lives through our sanctification is that that serves as an outward testimony, a witness to those around us. So when we keep away from sexual immorality, that's a witness to the world. When we pursue brotherly and affectionate love for one another in the church, that's a witness to the world. When we lead a quiet life, mind our own business, work hard, that's a witness, a God-glorifying one to the world around us. Our outward testimony matters. Amen? Our outward testimony, our works can serve as this bridge that the gospel walks across toward those around us. We're doing this, church. You're doing this, church. Let's do this even more. We're going to move into a time of communion. Communion preaches the gospel to us, and today we need the gospel. And tomorrow we'll need the good news. We need reminded of grace and truth and the cross and the resurrection. And because I'd say for most of us listening in this room or online, if not all of us, we all have some moments or seasons in our history that were not God-glorifying. We look at these commands and we go, uh, yeah, I can remember missing the mark here and here and here where we have sinned and been sinned against, where we have exploited and we have been exploited ourselves when we have gossiped or murmured or not worked hard or failed to love our brother or sister well. The gospel is good news, amen? His broken body, his shed blood, his substitutionary death for our life, for our freedom. If we put our faith in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross, listen, loved ones, our histories, our entire histories, past, present, and future, history that hasn't even taken place has been nailed to the cross, been buried in a tomb. He bore the weight of it. Condemnation has been removed, and we've been set free, not so that we can serve ourselves, but so that we can serve the Lord and serve others. Be encouraged again by Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Prior to that verse, he goes through a, a list of sins that none of us walk out clean on. And he says in verse 11, I believe the Spirit is speaking to us today. Verse 11, and some of you used to be like this. Some of you used to be like this, but then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified. 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Washed, sanctified, justified, communion reminds us of these beautiful truths. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for sending your son to rescue us, to be born of a virgin, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, to live the perfectly holy, righteous, sinless life, the life of perfect obedience to you, a life intended to to die on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for taking on our unrighteousness, our sin, our shame, our guilt, our condemnation. Thank you for bearing the full weight of that upon that cross, and thank you that your sacrifice was enough once for all is enough for us to be able to know you and to be known by you. Thank you that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in your work alone. Thank you that through Christ and the Spirit of God that we've been washed and cleansed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified and made right with you. Where once we were at odds with you, we are now at peace with you. Thank you that you are our Prince of Peace, our Rescuer, our Redeemer, our Lord, our Savior. And today and this week, we confess that you're a Lord over every area of our lives. Lord, lovingly take the things out of our hands that we are prone to still try try to cling to. Teach us to surrender. Teach us to walk in humility and worship and devotion to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.